I would like to read some verses from Revelation. So if you would turn to the book of Revelation. We read several passages in the book. Revelation chapter, let's start from the first verse of the book, chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bond servants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant John. A little ahead in the same chapter, verse 9. I join your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. First ten, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book which you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamon and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And then in chapter 2, starting from verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet these you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Then in chapter 3, starting from verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. 你要写信给菲拉铁菲的教会是死者说那圣洁真实拿着大卫的钥匙开了就没有人能关了就没有人能开的说我知道你的行为你略有一点力量也曾遵守我的道没有气绝我的名看啊我在你面前给你一个敞
For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I'll add to those passages in Revelation two more verses, one from Matthew chapter 16. We will read two verses, verse two and three. But he, which is the Lord Jesus, replied to the Pharisees, "When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the for the sky is red and threatened. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times?" And finally, we want to read from gospel from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15. Words from our Lord Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's read it again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As you know, we have been for the last year meditating on this matter of preparation for the coming of the Lord. This has been our theme for the Sunday morning messages throughout 2014. I would like to just continue the meditation on the same subject with you and as I meditated on this before the Lord I felt led to share with you from the angle of the book of Revelation it shouldn't be a big surprise if you're meditating on the coming of the Lord of course the book of Revelation is like the book in the Bible on the coming of the Lord so even from the verses we read, just a couple verses in the book, it's very clear that the subject of the whole book is all pointing to the second coming of our Lord and King, our Lord Jesus. The opening verse of the book already tells us that. It specifically says that it, the book is meant for servants of the Lord Jesus to show them the thing that soon are to happen. 
No less than nine times, in a relatively short book, no less than nine times, you find the expression, either I come from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself, or he comes as a testimony that someone gives about but then at the close of the book, the same expression is repeated with something, a little something being added to it. Our Lord Jesus Himself, and this is the second to last verse of the whole Bible. Our Lord Jesus Himself, He says, Surely I come quickly. I find really very interesting and something that I feel should give us all pause when the Bible adds to anything that it says something like surely or an oath. It's something that I think I feel very, very uh, how can I put it? It's not interesting. It's something that should really give us some pause. Now, Sending 停止,有的时候让我们看到说,多加一个词的时候,应当引起我们的注意力,就是我们主说到我必快来,就是或是他发誓言的时候,我们就知道这是我们应当停下来来看,这是很重要的一件事情。And I what I mean is really very simple. We know that the whole word of God is true. 那我们知道这个神的话语是真理。So if the Lord adds to something that is true, the word surely, of course, that is not going to make anything truer than already is. It's not a matter of making anything truer because that would be impossible. It is already true. But I feel that this is for our benefit. To help our feebleness. To somehow aid our faith and give us the deepest possible assurance that certainly it is so. He will come again. And this is the, the subject, the theme of this wonderful book of Revelation. I know that oftentimes it can be a quite scary book when we think about all the imagery that we find in it. Beasts and false prophets and dragons and conflicts and evil spirits all over the place. It's a very, very solid book and imagery that we find here. But if you go beyond what seems at first glance something scary, you find the most wonderful message behind this book. Because in this book we see the Lord Jesus becoming the heir of all things. Well, I'm sorry, this is not accurate. He's not becoming. He already is the heir of all things. 
But you see him inheriting in a public way all things. The Bible tells us that this world lies in the evil one. He seems to be the enemy, the one that possesses this world. And it to a degree that is true. I guess the nature of the world that we live in reflects the nature of the one that possesses it. However, we can never forget that we are talking about something that is an illegitimate occupation. That's all. He is an observer. But in the book of Revelation, we are shown that the rightful heir of all things, the Lord Jesus, surely, certainly, he will come to possess and to inherit the whole world. Brothers and sisters, how close are we from that day? See, it's interesting. We read a verse from Matthew chapter 16. And there, that was the first coming of the Lord Jesus. And he rebuked those Pharisees of his day. They were not able to discern the signs of the time. They were not able to discern that those days were the days where the Messiah should come. And actually, Messiah was just in front of them, and they couldn't discern. And our Lord Jesus rebuked them. And that makes me think, but how about us? Can we discern the signs of the time we live in? Do we have a, a spiritual sense of the hour we are found in? That we live in days that are not business as usual? I don't know what you think about 2014. But to me, it's like the most, to my mind, to my memory, which is not that big or long, but it's the, the most extraordinary year that I can remember. It starts with the polar vortex. You remember that, right? Which actually seems all over again. And then you have the war in Gaza. In the Gaza Strip, the war in Gaza. Then you have the war in Ukraine. You have the rise of something called ISIS in the area of Iraq and Syria. 
We have the advent of Ebola out of control in a continent. You have commercial planes being shut down in the most horrific ways. Some of them disappearing without a trace. And of course, you have the blood moves. If you know even very little of the Bible, you know that most of those things somehow have some sort of, of prophetic connection. And we should never forget that we are in 2015, and far from 2014 being over, 2015 reminds us that most of those things are still open-ended, are still going on. We have two more blood moons this year. And on top of that, a solar eclipse. And again, I'm not trying to assign any particular meaning to that. But I want to say one thing. If you know the Bible, even a little bit, you should remember that those things are very clearly indicated as prophetic signs in the Word of God. So, brothers and sisters, how, how close are we from that day of His second coming? May the Lord be merciful to all of us. It seems that the easiest thing in the world, even in these days, that's the paradox, is that we are all in such a busy schedule, in such pressure at work and elsewhere, that the easiest thing in the world is just to be sleeping about things that are unfolding. Right in front of our eyes. But if this is the case, if we are indeed getting closer and closer, and very, very close to that day, how relevant then, then this book of Revelation should be to us? It is like that prophetic word that the Apostle Peter speaks in his second epistle. He says that the prophetic word should be to us like a lamp that shines in the dark place. So when the world is falling apart, when all the things seem to point clear in a clearer and clearer way to his coming, the prophetic word is going to be a lamp to give us direction to enlighten us to give us security and to protect us. So even as we consider in a very simple way this morning, this matter of being prepared for his coming in the light of revelation, I hope that these things are really clear in our minds and especially in our hearts.
那我们思想主的再来的时候，特别是在看启示录的时候，因为这件事情对我们来说是非常的清楚。Having said all those things，那么讲到这一切的时候，it may seem a little strange when you consider the book of Revelation as a whole，the way the book opens。那我们要看啊，这个启示录它开场的方法是有点奇怪。The book of Revelation is clearly a prophetic book。on the second coming of our Lord Jesus. And more than that, but let's simplify. But I don't know if you have ever wondered if this is, and it is indeed, a book full of prophecies about the second coming of the Lord. Have you ever wondered about why the book begins the way it begins? Now, we know that the book is the book begins with a vision of the risen Lord Jesus walking among seven lampstands. That is chapter one. And in chapter two and three, following that vision, you have seven letters addressed to the seven churches which the lampstands represent. So here you have the most prophetic, the book that is most concerned on the second coming of the Lord in the whole Bible. And somehow it opens with something that at first glance may seem, may seem kind of disconnected. Or it may seem a little bit, this is out of place, is this the right place where it should be? Well, brothers and sisters, actually, far from being disconnected or out of place, when we study the book as a whole, we learn that that vision is indeed the key to the whole book. What is a lampstand for? I'm not talking in these days, because I know that in these days it's purely for decoration. You find it so beautiful, you put it in, in a corner in your house, and it does absolutely nothing, right? But back in those days, no electricity, no lamp bulbs. A lampstand was a very, very important utensil. Lampstands were there to bear light. And that is a symbol of our testimony. Of the testimony of the church. Now you may have noticed that even in the verses we read, twice we read an expression that is found no less than six times in the whole book. And that expression is the testimony of Jesus. No less than six times in the book of Revelation, which is a short book, you find that expression repeated, the 
testimony of Jesus. 那至少有六次讲到耶稣的见证，耶稣基督的见证。What is the testimony of Jesus? 那耶稣基督的见证是什么呢? Well, we know that our Lord Jesus, He's called even in this book of Revelation, He is the faithful and true witness, which in the original language is the true and faithful testimony. Is the same word. 那我們就是我們知道耶穌基督他就是這個見證人,那在英文的詞不一樣,見證人跟見證的詞不一樣,就是這個詞。And when our Lord Jesus, he was on this earth,當我們的主席在地上的時候,his life fully testified of whom his father and God is.那他的生命就見證到見證說他的父親究竟是什麼樣的人。His life expressed the nature of God. 他的生命表明出这个神的本性。When you hear the Lord Jesus speaking, you know what what God is like. 当你听到主耶稣讲话的时候，你就能够看到主究竟是呃，我们的神究竟是如何。When you see your Lord Jesus acting or doing something, His love, His grace, His righteousness being expressed, you know what the character of God is like. 當你看到主耶穌行出什麼來,什麼東西出來的時候,他的愛,他的他的恩典的時候,我們就能夠看到這個神的本性是如何。His whole life is about being a testimony for what God is. 那他這一生就是在為神為神的所事做見證。And that's the origin of that expression. Where does that come from? The testimony of Jesus. 那就是耶稣的见证，呃，这个，呃，这个词，呃，这这个发源的原因就在这里。Just look at his life. Now you have the testimony of Jesus. 就看到他的生命，就看到这个耶稣的见证。And how he expressed fully God.他能够呃把这个神的这个生命完全这个表明出来。And of course we know that today our Lord Jesus, on as 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 much as Physically, we can think about it. He's absent from the earth.那我们知道，我们的我们的主耶稣今日，他现在在地上，不是在我们当肉身上，不在我们身上，不在不在当中。Of course, we know he died. He rose again. He was ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's enthroned at the right hand of Father right now.我们知道他死了，然后复活，就升升天，现在住在父神的右边。so was that the end of that testimony of Jesus since he's no longer here physically on this earth?那耶稣基督的见证是否就如此结束了呢？因为他啊肉身不在啊这个地上了吗？Of course, brothers and sisters, we know that that testimony that our Lord Jesus began in the days of his flesh is to be continued today through another vessel, which is the church, which is his body. 那我们知道耶稣的见证，他从那时候开始的，今日要持续下去，乃是借着这个教会能够表明出来。The church is that vessel that ought to continue the testimony that our Lord Jesus began when He lived physically on this earth.那这个教会就要继续呃持守这个见证，呃，就是我们的主耶稣当初开始的。If you want to think on this from a different angle, let's put it like this: While Jesus was on this earth. He expressed that testimony, the testimony of Jesus, through his physical body. 那如果我们换一个角度来看的话，就是当初啊， uh, 
But today that he's physically absent, that testimony is to continue, not through his physical body, but through his mystical body, the church. Do you understand then the significance of what we read in chapter 19, verse 10? Let me clarify. I ask a question. Is this opening vision out of place? Is this something disconnected from the whole matter of prophecy which dominates this book? On the contrary. In chapter 19, verse 10, we read that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. From our point of view, oftentimes we look at prophecy as a matter of a series of events that have to unfold sometime in the future. But from the divine point of view, the sequence of events is totally secondary. Yes, there are events to happen. However, the key of prophecy are not the events in themselves. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is as if the testimony of Jesus is what somehow will determine when prophecy, when the events will happen. Brothers and sisters, is that testimony of Jesus a reality in our lives? When he was on earth, he fully expressed who God is. Do we? That is what the church is to do. That is her function, so to speak. A lampstand back in those days is not a piece of decoration. It is there to give light. It is there to express something, to allow people to know what is going on. And that's the function of the church, to express, not itself, her Lord. And because of that, 
Because the testimony in the divine concept, the testimony of Jesus, is the spirit of prophecy. It shouldn't be any surprise that the book opens with the vision that it opens with. Yes, it is those lampstands, when they are what they ought to be, that are going to be the spirit, the key to prophecy. When you look at that opening vision of this book, you find the Lord Jesus Himself walking among the seven lampstands. And as we read, He is girded on His chest with a golden sash on my on my translation. <laughs> now, if you know anything about the customs of that time, you know, they didn't wear, men or women didn't wear pants like we do. They have those long robes, you know, like, like almost like a skirt or something like that. And when you had to do work that would require mobility or walking around, those things could can get into the way, right? So what they would do is to lift up those things to the maybe to you know to the, the upper in the legs and to tie them with some sort of belt, right? They girded themselves for action. And this is the picture about the risen Lord Jesus that we are shown in the beginning of the book of Revelation. He didn't rise from the dead, was ascended to heaven, is, is doing nothing or heaven. No. He is in action, engaged in something. What is his work that we see him doing? He's walking among the seven lampstands. And there you have a picture, somehow a priestly picture. You know, the lampstand was one of the utensils in the temple. And one of the priestly responsibilities was to examine the lampstand every day. And make sure that the lampstand was in the proper condition and would be able to fulfill the reason why it's there, which is to illuminate. So do you understand what our Lord Jesus, our heavenly high priest, is doing even now, even today? He walks among the seven lampstands, a picture of the whole church. He's inspecting, so to speak, 
What is the spiritual condition of the church? He's making sure that the lampstands are doing what they are supposed to do, which is to bear light. To put it slightly different, he's making sure that the testimony of Jesus is present in the church. Or if I can put it yet in a different way, he's making sure that we are prepared, spiritually prepared for him. See, at the whole, at the core of this whole matter of the testimony of Jesus, you have spiritual preparedness. And a way to look at that wonderful opening vision in Revelation is that our Lord Jesus today is making sure that we are found in spiritual preparedness for Him. So that's the angle that I would like to very briefly consider this matter of our preparation for the coming of the Lord. From what we find in, this, in the letters to the seven churches, of course, we, we have absolutely no time to go into any detail. However, even when we consider the vision as a whole and the structure of the letters to the seven churches, we can somehow, by the grace of the Lord, discern what preparation is all about. See, if you think for a second, if we were to ask the question, what is what is spiritual preparation? I think if you look to the seven letters in chapter two and three, it becomes very, very clear what spiritual preparation is all about. As I believe most of you know, the seven letters, they have the same kind of structure or format. And that structure in itself has something very, very important for our instruction. At the beginning of each letter, the Lord Jesus, who is the one that is addressing the churches, he identifies himself. He reveals himself to that church in specific terms. So in the beginning of each letter, you find that the Lord Jesus will reveal himself, will address himself to each one of the churches in specific terms. So if this is confusing, let's we just read, read two of the 
of the seven letters. Let's read again just the way the Lord addresses himself to Ephesus for Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, To the angel in the, of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, says this. You see the Lord Jesus addressing the church and identifying himself in very specific terms. And in each letter, the way he addresses himself is different. For instance, we read the letter to Philadelphia. Let's read again the opening part. Chapter 3, verse 7. And, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this. Why does the Lord address himself to each church in a specific way? Actually, it's very, it should be very clear if you read the seven, the seven letters. Because when you read the letters, you can see very clear that our Lord Jesus is ex- when he addresses himself in a specific way, he expects to see that aspect that he's revealing of himself. He expects to see that in the church. In other words, what is the Lord Jesus trying to find in the church? Nothing but himself. That is what he is looking in the church. He's walking among the seven lampstands, inspecting them, what he wants to find. His own person. That shouldn't be any surprise to us. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 2? You remember how the Lord asked Adam to name all the animals. And, and it has, it may have, I don't know how long it took, but it seems that it has some time he spent in that activity, right? Naming the giraffe, the elephant, and all those. And then the Bible adds the expression, but there was nothing that corresponded to him. And you remember that the Lord made the woman after that. How did the Lord made, and in the original language, the word is the Lord built a woman? Let me ask you, and you all know the answer. What was the material that went into the construction of the woman? 
Our sister is saying a rib. And in the original language, it says that the Lord took something out of his side. And probably it was a rib. When the Lord brought the woman to, to Adam, what he says is very, very important. He says, finally, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. What did Adam see in the woman? He saw himself. Do you see what the Lord Jesus is looking in his church? By his grace we were made a new creation in Christ. But in that new creation there is only one material. Christ and Christ alone. Everything that is of our flesh, of our old man, is gone. But is that a reality in our lives? Do you see what this spiritual preparation is all about? The Lord is inspecting, trying to find Himself in His church. That is what preparation is all about. Let's ask a second question. What is the key in the process for the process of preparation to happen, to be real? What is the key element in that process of preparation? When you look to the vision, you know immediately. Let me rephrase my question. What is the key for a lampstand to be able to give light? What is that thing that goes inside? That is the key. Oil. And of course, oil in Scripture is consistently a symbol, a type of the Holy Spirit. We can say that the Holy Spirit is responsible for the actual process of preparation to happen in our lives. How can we be conformed to the image of Christ? How can Christ be formed in us? How can the Lord Jesus finally look at us and say, I see myself there? Never by our efforts or energy or anything that we can do in ourselves. The Holy Spirit, that holy oil, is responsible for that process to happen. However, we have a part in it. Again, if you look to the structure of the seven letters, that becomes very, very clear. 
There is one expression that is repeated in every single letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you see? The Holy Spirit is responsible and fully able to perform the work in preparation. But you and I still have a part. Do we hear, do we listen to the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit when He's speaking to us? See, if we say, okay, I'm not listening to anything, and we, pre- and we go ahead in our own direction, guess what happens? The preparation process will suffer. So, brothers and sisters, how true the same Apostle John, who was used to write the, the book of Revelation. Now, he tells us in his first epistle that the teaching of the anointing, that teaching, he teaches everything to us. And when we listen to that teaching, we abide in the Lord Jesus. And that is the specific principle behind our preparation for the coming of the Lord. First, our Lord is trying to find Himself in, in us. Second, the Holy Spirit is the key to that process to actually happen. Uh, but thirdly, we do have a part. Do we hear the Holy Spirit? And when we hear the Holy Spirit, there is another thing that should happen. And again, without going into the details of each letter, we should be able to see those things just by the structure of the letters. Oftentimes, the Lord is saying to the churches, Repent, repent, repent. So that is how preparation will happen. The Holy Spirit, He speaks. But on our side, it's up to us to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. One. And when we hear, to repent. Those are the general principles behind our preparation as we see them here in the book of Revelation. But now, if you go through each letter, and look into details, you will see the specific aspects of our preparation as revealed to each one of those churches, in which one of the letters. As I said, we do not have the time to go in detail into each one of them. 
However, there is one aspect of our preparation that I would like to share and conclude this time on that note. There is one, if we may call it, spiritual characteristic or spiritual virtue that the Lord is producing in us that is somehow of a key that is behind all the other aspects that he's after. And I just, the only thing I can do is to point that out through two churches to and of course you're talking about this matter of love, of first love for the Lord. We read two churches, two letters. Ephesus and Philadelphia. And when you look to the church of Ephesus, is of course, we know immediately that they have one problem. The problem in Ephesus is, as the Lord himself says, is that they left their first love. It's not just love in general. There is something very specific, the Lord says. You, you have left your first love. As probably you may know, first here does not refer to first in time. It's not a matter of, there is an expression, popular, right? Sorry. You know, when something is at the very beginning, right? A puppy is such a cute animal. There is such an affection for it. And sometimes we may think that, you know, when you first met them, that there is very natural a deep sense of love for him, for your Lord and Savior that comes to your heart. And as wonderful as that love is, in a sense, it is popular. As time goes by and we face many crises and difficulties, we come to the hard realization that there is so much of self stealing us. And that love has to be purified. So when the Lord says you have left your first love, He is not referring to that initial love immediately after your salvation. No. The best translation for first love should be your best love. You have left your best love. In other words, it's not a matter of time, it's a matter of quality. 
那不是说是时间的问题，乃是讲到这个啊、呃、这个品质这个这个呃这个值是如何。And what we learn from this epistle to Ephesus is very very sober. So it, it may causes you to be very sober. 那当你读这在以弗读到以弗所的这信的时候，你会觉得你就是你会相当的这个很清楚的看到。When that best love is gone. Nothing else will satisfy the heart of the Lord. 当这个最好的爱离开的时候，没有任何的事情能够满足我们的主的心。I personally feel that that should make us to tremble before the Lord. 那我我认为这件事情应该让我们在啊啊在主面前颤抖。And not take this in a light way by any means. 我们不能轻看这件事情。Did you read what the Lord, how the Lord commands the Church of Ephesus? 看我们的主是怎么样，呃，讲到他们是怎么样讲到这个以弗所的教会呢 ？In a sense, it is a most wonderful church. 一方面来说是讲的是非常啊、呃、这个好的一个教会。The Lord says that they have persevered. He knows their toil. They know that they very orthodox. They do not tolerate evil, false teachings. And again, the Lord speaks of perseverance and having endured for His name's sake, and etc. 看到他们是怎么样劳碌、劳碌又忍耐，又又又又也经过了一些许多试验。他是他讲的好。The very very solid lesson here is that when first love or best love is gone, nothing else, even this wonderful list that we read here, cannot satisfy the heart of the Lord. 但是这种学到的功课就是，当你离开这个起初的爱的时候，没有任何的一件事情能够满足神的主主的心。I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, that this matter of first love or, or best love is at the root of any other problems you find in the other six churches. There is one that does not have that, that is Philadelphia. 那我相信这个起初的爱心，或是最好的这个爱心，是也是在其他的这些六六个教会里面所发生的问题。In other words, when first love is gone, something will deteriorate in other ways. But at, The beginning of other kind of errors, whatever it may be, is that first love was gone. 那就是你开始离开这起初的爱的时候，其他的问题就开始发生。但是首先会发生的就是你离开了这个起初的爱心。I feel that Philadelphia stands as the positive counterpart to what we read in Ephesus. 那我们看到这个菲拉铁非就好像是在另一方面来说，好像对以弗所来说就是比较好的一个例子。And again, we cannot go through the details. 那当然，我们没有时间看这些细节。But I'll just trust that you remember that out of those seven churches, Philadelphia is the one that really satisfies the heart of the Lord. 那菲拉铁非是那那个教会，就是能够满足呃主的心。All of them, with the possible exception of Smyrna, all of them have something that they have to repent. 那除了斯美拿斯美拿的教会之外，其他。And don't get me wrong, Philadelphia surely they had many things to repent because this is an ongoing process. 那我们知道，但菲拉铁非当然也有要悔改的地方。But the the question is, when the Holy Spirit speaks, do you repent immediately, or you just pretend you didn't hear anything and keep going? That's the real question. 那当圣灵说你们当悔改的时候，你们是否立刻悔立刻悔改，还是你们就？ I'm sure that Philadelphia repented for many, many things, but they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit and they repented, and that's it. It's in the past. 那我们我相信
之后他们就完全就悔改了。I like to suggest to you that Philadelphia is somehow the positive counterpart to what you read in Ephesus. 那或许Philadelphia就是一个这个以佛所的教会的一个正面的一个伙伴。But then there is something that is maybe it seems that I am contradicting myself or there is something odd here. 但是我讲的现在你感觉会有一点的矛盾。if Philadelphia is the positive counterpart to Ephesus, we should see the Lord commanding Philadelphia for love, shouldn't we? We know that that was the, the reason why Ephesus failed. They left their first love. And in one way or another, that first love was gone in all others, and it deteriorated into something even more serious. But Philadelphia, there is only praise from the Lord. It really satisfies his heart. If love is that chief spiritual characteristic, that the Lord is trying to, to find in us. Shouldn't we see a commendation in Philadelphia for love?但是如果讲到是爱，是对我们来说很主主是这么重要的一个，在我们身上所看到的，想要找到的这个性格的话，为什么在这个Philadelphia的教会没有提到啊，他们是做的是他们的爱爱心是何等的大呢？At a first glance, or by the latter, indeed, you don't see that commendation.那你大略看过去的话，你看不到。or do we? It, it actually, I feel it depends on how we define love. I feel that part of our problem is that we oftentimes think in love in a very sentimental way. As something emotional that we have to have for our Lord. And something that is a, a sort of mystical experience. I hope that nobody gets me wrong on this. Because I'm not suggesting for a second that emotions shouldn't be there for our Lord. I'm not saying that. But what I'm trying to say is that emotions are never the final evidence that we love the Lord. 但是我们的这个情感，不是说是我们最终能够能够做一个指示，说是我们是多么的爱我们的主。So if Philadelphia indeed satisfies the heart of the Lord so much, where can we see love if He's really looking for love in our lives？那如果Philadelphia是这么的好的话，你在哪里能够在Philadelphia的教会里面寻找到这个爱呢？如果这个爱是非常的重要的话。let me repeat a verse that we read at the beginning from our Lord Jesus in his farewell discourse to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is the kind of love that we are talking about. Not an emotion, not sentimentalism, very, very concrete. 
If you love me, you will keep my words. Actually, in chapter 14 of John, in that very short conversation, no less than four times, our Lord Jesus repeats the same expression. Sometimes in a positive way, sometimes in a negative. But four times. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now let's go back for a second. How did the Lord command or praise the Church of Philadelphia? He says, I know your deeds. I know your spiritual condition, which he says to all, basically to all churches. That you have little strength. But you have kept my word. Do you see the first love in that church for her Lord? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I would like to ask a, a final question. Of course, in this matter of keeping his word, we can never be selective. We know that our Lord Jesus, in the, for instance, in the book of Matthew, he says that we ought to make disciples of our nations and teach them to keep all the things not half, not 50 that I pick and choose, okay, I like this, I'll obey the Lord, uh, this part, I don't like that much, so, and that we are very happy because we are obeying something, there is no such thing in the Word of God. If our obedience is selected, our love is unreal. If you love me, you will keep my words. The question we want to ask is, what kind of specific obedience or specific aspect of the word of the Lord, the Church of Philadelphia, they kept? The Lord praises and commends this church in such terms that it becomes a model, a reference for the church in all ages, in all centuries. So it's, I feel it's very, very important that we ask the question, what specifically they kept? Of course, they kept everything. I'm sorry, I'm but I feel, brothers and sisters, that if we study carefully this short letter of the Lord to the Church of Philadelphia, we'll find that they kept the word of the Lord in a very, very specific aspect. 
And that satisfies the heart of the Lord so much that He can command His church and praise her in such way as He does. And I feel that to find what was the specific aspect that they obeyed, we need to look at the promise that the Lord has for Philadelphia. It should be really, uh, I don't want to extend this, but I feel that if we don't touch this, something will be missing. You know that the, at the end, again, back to the structure of the seven letters, at the end of each letter, there is a promise to the overcomer. Now, these promises are very, very important. And they are all not, they are never uh, something like random that the Lord is so happy with the overcoming that okay, here's what you're getting. If you study carefully each letter, you realize that the promise to the overcomers has to do with something specific that they had overcome, and therefore there is a promise as a specific reward for what was overcome. So what did Philadelphia as a whole, as the overcomer church, what did they obey? What aspect of the word of the Lord they kept that causes the Lord to make that promise? We need to look at the promise to answer that. Uh, and that's chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. This wonderful promise reveals that there is one specific aspect that this church standeth for the Lord. Because they have stood for all that Jerusalem represents, they have the promise to be given the name of the city of my God, even the new Jerusalem. In other words, when the Lord says, you have kept my word, there is something related to this matter of what Jerusalem stands for. They have kept that. And because of that, they are given a place of honor, even in the new Jerusalem. That is the aspect. That somehow they kept that satisfied the heart of the Lord so much. 
I can almost hear some of you saying, Oh, wonderful, we know that it's Jerusalem, so let's go home, let's, let's wrap it up. But do we really know what Jerusalem stands for in the Bible? Do we realize what emphasis the Holy Spirit places in that matter of Jerusalem in both Testaments, both Old and New? We can there is absolutely no way for us to go in detail into that. But I feel that if I at least don't point out to something of that principle, we are going to be totally incomplete in this very simple and humble sharing. When you look in the Old Testament, Jerusalem is the place that the Lord chose to cause His name to dwell. And because His name dwells there, that place represents who He is. That is Jerusalem. An expression, a repre- something that expresses the Lord. And because of that, Jerusalem was the place where all the tribes should come together. In this matter of gathering together to worship the Lord in the Old Testament, that was never left to human convenience or expediency. Never. Jerusalem was that place where all the tribes would gather. Psalm 122 is so beautiful and so clear about that principle. Jerusalem, the place where all the tribes go up as a testimony for Israel. Jerusalem is it always amazes me that when David, when he was made king over all Israel, what's the first measure that he takes? He conquered Jerusalem. He makes Jerusalem his capital. No wonder you hear the Lord testifying about David. He's a man according to my heart. How about the New Testament? Is that emphasis, has it diminished in any way? Do you remember in John 17, the last prayer of our Lord with all his disciples? It's the night before he went to the cross. Our Lord Jesus prays, Father, that they may be one. He prays for the unity of the people of God. And then he adds, that the world may know that you have sent me. 
brothers and sisters, it is only when there is a testimony of unity that indeed the world will know that indeed there is a testimony. Can you hear the heartbeat of your Lord behind that prayer? A testimony based on unity can only mean what we read in Colossians chapter 3. In Christ Jesus, all natural distinctions, they are eliminated. Whether it is whether it is race, whether it is culture, whether it is language, whether it is social class differences, in Christ, all those things are eliminated. That is the testament of unity of the church. That is the principle that Jerusalem stands for. And that is a specific aspect that the Church of Philadelphia they overcame. They upholded that principle. And therefore the Lord promises them a place of honor in the new Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, do we see how absolutely essential and central this whole matter is in the Bible? We could say that this is at the very center of God's own heart. How about our heart? What is the position? that that principle has on our hearts. It is something that we indeed are standing for. Or is something that we can talk about. We can uphold as a matter of principle and however it could be so easy at the bottom of our priority list. Let's listen again to what the Lord says to Philadelphia. You have kept my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. May the Lord be merciful to us, my dear brothers and sisters. That somehow he would prepare us specifically this matter. Let's have two or three prayers of the Lord.